A different future starts with you. That's why GoDaddy does more than help you find a name. You can create, sell, and get found online so any small business can make a change. We need a new generation of thinking. Your way of thinking. Start different at GoDaddy.com. COVID-19 patients need your help. If you've fully recovered from COVID-19 or unknowingly been exposed to it, you may have the antibodies that could help COVID-19 patients recover. Donate blood and receive testing for COVID-19 antibodies. Visit Vitalant.org today to schedule an appointment to donate blood. That's V-I-T-A-L-A-N-T dot Help save lives and schedule your appointment at Vitalant.org. You could help save lives. This is an ode to the glass noodle. You may be glass only in name, but our love for you is crystal clear in every Bibigo Korean dumpling. Your tantalizing texture tickles the taste buds. And while you are see-through, the world can't help but see you. The glass noodle, one of many obsessively crafted ingredients in every plump and juicy Korean dumpling from Bibigo. Go handcrafted. Go Bibigo. Authentic Korean dumplings now in the freezer aisle. This is Podco Media Networks. On episode 151 of Confessions of a Marketer, being a mindful marketer. Hi, it's Mark Reed Edwards. Welcome back to Confessions of a Marketer. Lisa Norell, who trailblazed the notion of the mindful marketer, is with us today, just when we need it most. We'll get to that in a moment. I've been trying to give you episodes lately that might help you through the COVID-19 crisis. It's been an interesting time to get perspectives from such a wide range of people. And I've appreciated the thinking everyone has shared. That said, we're planning to get back to some discussions we recorded before COVID took over our lives. I've got quite a backlog of interviews that I think will be very valuable to you. So we'll have Blair Ends on next time to go over his win without pitching ideas. Plus, we have chats planned with Henrik Becker, Zenia Montan, Dave Woodward, Larry Ludwig, Travis Chambers, Naira Perez, Marty McDonald, Ian Preston, and Nicholas Vandenberg. All great interviews and really valuable stuff that I think you'll really enjoy hearing. There is a lot more in store, too, as we make our way through this crazy year, so stay with us. If you've recovered from COVID-19 or unknowingly been exposed to it, you may have antibodies that could help COVID-19 patients. Donate blood and receive testing for COVID-19 antibodies. Visit Vitalant.org today. Okay, on to Lisa Narell. Lisa was introduced to me by my frequent guest, Alex Withers. I was fascinated by her focus, spelled out in her trailblazing book, The Mindful Marketer. In our discussion, we learn what prompted the book, the key tenets of being a mindful marketer, and how we can all be more mindful. Plus, of course, we touch on data, how to make the marketing organization a healthier and more sustainable organization. This is a very valuable discussion. Let's get to it. Lisa, welcome to Confessions of a Marketer. It's great to have you here. Oh, thank you, Mark. It's great to be here. And I trust you're staying healthy through this crisis that we're all enduring. I am staying healthy physically and actually on the men- mental wellness. I have my moments, but I'm staying on the 80% side. 
That's most of good. the time, 20% of the time, yeah, we have our moments. We have our moments. I think that's about all we can hope for these days. Yes. So, so Lisa, can you share your background and what you're focused on? Yes. Well, my company is Energized Growth, and I help CMOs, marketing leaders, and CEOs accelerate growth and marketing innovation. And it really started to come together about eight years ago when I was sitting across the table from a very seasoned CMO who said, Lisa, I have never felt so isolated and so alone. Hmm. And I said, well, tell me more. And he said, well, my CEO expects me to be a revenue leader, a customer experience expert, a marketing technology stack expert, and a traditional marketer all in one. And I am not prepared. And I feel like I'm on this journey by myself. And that's when I realized it wasn't just about being a great advisor to my clients. It was also about being more like a person who could be the architect of private professional communities of learners and leaders. So here I am eight years later, not only guiding and building peers in peer groups where they can share, innovate, solve problems confidentially, but also able to reach people and marketers across the globe through my work with LinkedIn Learning and now the Marshall Goldsmith 100 Coaches Program. And a few books later and a many hundreds of articles later, I'm, I'm just very honored to watch these leaders really contribute to the growth of their organizations, and more importantly, lead healthier, more fulfilling lives. Yeah, yeah. You were introduced to me by a friend of the podcast, Alex Withers, who has been on the podcast a few times, and he spoke so highly of you, I knew I had to have you on. Thank you. I'm honored. He's just an, he's another example of a client that inspires me to do the work that I do every day. Yeah. And those kinds of personal connections can really be so valuable, especially at a time like we're in now with COVID-19, having those connections to uh, professionally and personally can take care of that 20% you were talking about, right? Where you feel good 80% of the time and 20% of the time you don't. And when you have those personal connections, that can get you through that 20%. It absolutely does. We're seeing a strong retention of our members right now. We have new members joining the community, looking for those connections. And boy, in this time of social distancing and a time of such uncertainty, connection is all that really matters. The rest, when we're together, we can figure it out. I feel like social distancing is a misnomer. It should be personal distancing. You want to keep close socially, but personally, you want to be uh, six feet apart. Yes, it is. It's one of those memes that has really taken the world by storm. Um, Yeah. I'm, I'm not saying I'm a fan of it either, but it is something that seems to be helping to move us towards flattening the curve a little bit faster. Definitely. So you wrote a book that trailblazed an area we all think more about these days, The Mindful Marketer. Can you tell me what prompted the book and what the key tenets of it are? 
Yes, I was working with my book coach, Mark Levy, who's also somebody I hope you will uh, interview sometime. Mark Levy, he is a genius when it comes to innovation, and his book is Accidental Genius. Hmm. And Mark and I were talking, and I was putting together my next book proposal. And I have to give him credit for helping to extricate this concept from me through a series of very fun and somewhat disparate interviews to figure out what makes me tick. Yeah. What it did is it allowed me to demonstrate the differences between traditional marketing and mindful marketing and mindful marketing. As I define it in my book, the mindful marketer is demonstrating present moment awareness and discernment for not only your clients, your customers, your stakeholders, but also for yourself and being able to be more focused, more present, and again, to be able to live a more fulfilled life as a result. It's a book that outlines for my readers some of the things that cause us to make poor decisions, to feel scattered, to feel overly committed, and how can we tackle those symptoms and be more present for all of our stakeholders, whether that's family, friends, or the people we serve within our organizations. So I take people through a series of, I, I, I wrote this book very differently than my previous book, Mark, in that the chapters are, I call them Twitter-sized chapters, yeah. which look at some of the causes of this mindlessness that we see in our society and how it affects our stakeholders, ranging from our VP of sales, our CEO, the board of directors, customer experience, and other people within our organizations. And what are some of the common mindfulness principles we can use on a daily basis when interacting with these individuals? And then what is the future of mindfulness in the workplace? So I take a look at all three of those areas with every chapter being focused on providing pragmatic advice, everything from how to conduct meetings to how to interact with your customers so that you can be really much more effective in your work as a marketing leader. Yeah. I want to talk about two things you just mentioned, decision-making and being present. And there is a lot of science around decision-making, but at the end of the day, it's kind of a, an art, isn't it? And knowing when to make the right decision, how to make it. What's your point of view on decision-making for a CMO? Well, the way of making decisions, I like to, I prefer the word choices versus decisions. Sure. Because the word decide comes from the same, is of the same origin as suicide and genocide. Yeah. So I tend to like the word choose or, ch you know, chosen more than decide. And, 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 and the, is, the point, is the point that it's not really a zero sum game. It's not one or the other. When you make a choice, you're making a choice for direction, but you can include a broader swath of people in it. What's the difference? Well, to me, one of my mentors, Alan Weiss says, language controls discussion. Discussion controls relationships and relationships control the business. So think of just the small shifts we make in our language and the ramifications it has on how I relate to people 
and how I communicate as a marketer to my customers. Yeah. So I have an entire scale within my book that looks at, and it's an energy scale that looks at the different types of words that we use and the, the way it actually either creates positive energy for our audience or it strips energy away. And it's all derived from some of the work that was written in a book called Power Versus Force, which to me is a seminal book that analyzes through over 50 years of study the differences in, you know, the language that we use and how it shapes our thoughts and our actions. So it's an amazing book. No one has read that book by Dr. David Hawkins. It's really powerful. And a lot of what I talk about in my book is not only based on the more than 10,000 studies conducted on the benefits of mindfulness, but also on some incredible work of Dr. David Hawkins. Yeah, I'll make sure that's in the show notes. Great. So being present is a struggle, isn't it? Being there in the moment is a struggle for people. How can we get over that? Uh, Often we're thinking of the next meeting or the next thing we need to do rather than being there and present. And that can go for you know, your private life, you know, when, when you're around your family, often your mind is wandering to work. How can one be present in one's life? Well, this is something that I deal with every day in my own life. So all I do is I share with people what I've witnessed in my own life and how I've dealt with it. So now that I'm on, I think I'm on my 19th year of studying and practicing mindfulness in various forms. I can tell you that it's not like it disappears. It's just that I'm able to recognize it sooner. So I call it rapid discovery, rapid recovery. <laughs> so, yeah. so being able to, you know, it's a lot, it's very much parallel to stoicism, which tells us that it's the ability to cultivate the awareness that allows me to step back and analyze my own senses. Mm-hmm. So it's something as simple, Mark, as before a meeting, two things. I never do back-to-back meetings. So I don't buy into the productivity porn movement, Mm -hmm. which is, you know, the busier I am, the more important I must be. Right. So any of you listening, you know, remember, no one is shooting at us. So there are no rules that we need to fill our calendars every day with 20 meetings or 10 meetings. I'd rather have two really effective meetings. than eight back-to-back meetings. And it's proven time and time again that I can be more effective that way, giving me that time to think. And then the other thing I do before every meeting that might be helpful to others is I keep a journal right here on my desk and I have a Mm min-max. So I literally set my minimum intention for that meeting and my maximum intention. So what would be a minimum best outcome mm-hmm. and what would be a maximum best outcome? Having said that, I, you know, I also look at it through the lens of the other person. So how can I create value for them first and foremost? How yeah. can I be of service? And in this collective time of massive grieving, one of the fastest ways I can get myself out of panic, worry, fear of the unknown, fear of the invisible pandemic 
is to direct my energy towards serving others. Yeah. So whether that's through volunteering, giving blood, which is very necessary right now, or reaching out and scheduling time with my clients and asking them those questions can be really, it just immediately removes a, a huge amount of that fear, worry, and doubt that is keeping me from being present. Yeah. It requires looking beyond yourself, which especially in a time of crisis can, can be a real challenge for, for some people, for all people, I would think. It is for me and it is for my clients. I mean, I, I spoke with a client recently, a CEO, and they struggle with being present because they spend so much time at work focusing on their identity as a CEO. Right. This is only true for people. I can only speak for people in Western society. I can't speak for people in perhaps in Buddhist culture or in other cultures. But how many people have you run across whose identity is completely wrapped around what their job title says on their business cards? Yeah. yeah. And the CEO was such a brilliant, shining example of what happens when our identity is 99% about our job. This person was confronted when their college children came back to the home and had to self-quarantine for two weeks because they chose to go to Florida on spring break. And this CEO said to me, all of a sudden, I am confronted with the fact that I'm a parent and I love my children and I am really afraid for my children. My, My parent gene is kicking in into overdrive. And all this work detail of being a CEO seems so much less important. And then they broke down and cried. Mm. I said, allow your identity to step in here and be that parent that you love being because you have been ignoring it for years and being focused on the productive CEO who's going to take care of their employees and their clients. And they're, you know, and this was giving them time to step aside from that. So as painful as it may be for them, it's also a reawakening. A catharsis. Completely. Yeah. That's interesting, you know, because we're all people, right? You may be a really powerful CEO. Jamie Dimon may be a really powerful CEO, but he had heart surgery recently. He's a human being, right? And and I think that realization is good for everyone, that we're all people and we all have the same struggles, yet some are very powerful and some aren't. But realizing that we're all human beings is, is a critical thing that we all need to understand. Yes, I think it was Carl Jung who once said, the world will ask you who you are. And if you do not know the world will tell you. Exactly. Before I joined this conversation with you today, I was thinking, oh, you know, what new marketing techniques do I need to talk about today? And, you know, is Mark going to prompt me on all these things? And then I realized, "Mm, no, this is a time when marketing is all about humanity. Yeah. And it's Mm -hmm. all about empathy and really tapping into what makes us thrive, even in these difficult times. Yeah. I want to talk about something that I have talked a lot more about on this podcast than I thought I would, and that's data. Pretty much every conversation I have has some element of data in it. 
I'm interested in how we can make better decisions or choices, to use your word, without being bound solely to data. I think in the last month or so, we've seen companies obviously use data to make decisions, but also use humanity to make decisions. How can we do that more effectively? Yes, well, this is the area where I invite people to step into the roles that they've taken in marketing and realize that, you know, data is a very important part of our jobs now. And I get that. AI is helping to make that part of our jobs easier and faster. However, intuition also plays a role. And there are two aspects to every marketing profession that will never disappear, which is dealing with uncertainty and ambiguity. So data, you know, which is the process of analyzing and implementing actionable intelligence that helps us get more efficient, drive better customer relationships, and maybe even make us more profitable. While that is important and we have new tools at our disposal. And what is it? 7,000 tools now on the Luma landscape. Yeah. While that's true and that's nice, nothing replaces the ability to use our intuition and to be able to dance with uncertainty and ambiguity. And it's kind of like, you know, when I look at the best clients in our community who are thriving in spite of COVID-19 and the impact on their business, <clears throat> they're taking some of their budget dollars and instead of continuing their personalization programs, their email marketing, and some of their, you know, their chatbot systems and some of these other things to streamline the customer experience. They're putting a pause on some of these initiatives and they're teaming up with their customer experience teams, their sales teams, and they're reaching out and actually having human conversations with their customers. Wow. <laughs> and I just, I know what a concept, right? <laughs> right? So I'm really so proud of them. And I just wrote a piece on this on my blog and you can go to lisanorell.com slash blog if you want to read it. But I talk about just two basic questions that every marketer has the right to ask. And the first question to be asking our customers or our prospects is, what is the most pressing issue you're facing right now? And the second question is, how can I help? Right. And I know these sound really fundamental, but you would be shocked at how many marketers I interact with. And I speak with hundreds of marketers a year, and we have hundreds of CMOs in our communities, I can tell you most of them are one or two steps removed from actually talking to customers. Mm. And I'm saying those days are gone. You've got to step in and we can no longer allow the sales teams or the CEO to say, well, no, you leave that to these other people. Right. We have to be willing to put aside our online surveys, our personalization programs, our account-based marketing automated systems. Oh, I can hear the MarTech companies shaking their, wagging their fingers <laughs> at me right now. Right. I, I am a contrarian. I am a contrarian. And I'm saying, just please put those aside for a moment and reach out and schedule some Zoom chats with those customers and let them, and give them the space and the time to tell you, their responses. 
and you would be shocked at how powerful that could be. It's a great way of connecting with people, right? And often in marketing, we create personas and we create these kinds of uh, straw men that we think about and we don't really actually connect to the actual people. That's right. <laughs> you remember three weeks ago when we got just barraged in our inboxes by credit card providers, retailers, yeah. mortgage companies saying it's like they all took the same cookie cutter email and borrowed it from one another yep. and said, hi, you know, we feel awful. We're here for you. Yeah. And I thought, no, you're not. Yeah. If you were here for me, my mortgage banker would be contacting me and checking in. And How are you doing? Do you know about our relief programs? Can we, what can we do? What do you need right now? Yeah. But instead I was put on hold for 45 minutes by Wells Fargo. Sure. Yeah. They all felt to me, I was talking with someone the other day about those kinds of emails. They felt like compliance emails, like the kind of email you get when a company has had some kind of security breach. They didn't feel genuine. They felt very legalistic. Some of them have been pretty good, but for the most part, they were the same email over and over again. Yes. And, you know, are there any airlines out there listening to this podcast? Because I would be curious, why would you send me an email saying we're doing the best job we can to clean our airplanes and sanitize them? Previously, we didn't. Be, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So does that mean like before you never really did and you were just yeah. kidding? <laughs> you know, that's like me saying to my clients, I want to let you know that I show up at work and I'm here for you every day. Yeah. Well, that's kind of what we expect from you. Yeah. <laughs> we call that table stakes, right? Yeah. So, you know, are you going to take this moment to really create new opportunities to be of even higher value to your customers? Or are you going to just say it's business as usual? Yeah. Well, I, I you know, I, even the best airline is lousy, right? So you know that even when you're in first class, you're in a dirty environment. And I think that that just kind of acknowledge that, that, yeah, we know our airplanes are crap most of the time, but now we're going to clean them. I hate to laugh. I mean, <laughs> I don't want to see any industry go by the wayside. I don't wish that on anybody. No, and I of course don't not. Wish it on, the, on the hundreds of thousands of employees that are affected and my heart does go out to them. And what a moment in our history to really put on our innovation hats yeah. and say, all right, what can we do to create a new and improved experience for our stakeholders? Yeah, it's at times like these, dot, 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 right? That's, that's what everyone says, but then does that actually happen? You know, do you actually change your way of doing business or do you just pretend to? That's the point. And that's why, you know, the root of those emails we were just discussing, is that real or is it because you feel like you have to do it? that you have to send this email, or are you really going to become a human-centered company? We'll know at some point within the next six months or a year whether those companies are really transforming themselves. That's right. And I see, I see a scale in front of me right now of, you know, on one end of the scale, we have marketers who are order takers who are just told by the CEO, go update our landing pages and our website or go go get an email out about this 
And then we have growth champions on the other end of the spectrum, the ones who are asking these questions and are curious, how can we create new experiences? What are we courageous enough to jettison because right. it's no longer working? And how do we step, who do we need to be in this new era? And those are the tough questions that growth champions are willing to ask. And even if it means they might need to fire themselves because they're, they're no longer contributing value or breakthroughs within their organizations. These, these are the tough questions right now, Mark. Yeah. To wrap up, I want to talk about marketing organizations. And I, w- I want to ask you something actually that I hadn't thought of until just now. And that is the work from home that we're seeing now has been a trend for, well, since since the internet really started to take hold. So let's say the last 20 years that working from home has become more practical. There used to be a term called telecommuting back in the 80s and 90s, but now, and now you can actually work from home. I started my own business a decade ago and I've always worked in my house and I can do that because there's ample bandwidth and all that. And now there are even more tools than there were when I started my business. But there was a trend with some companies, IBM specifically, a couple of years ago, decided we want everybody to come into the office. And, <laughs> and right? I'm and, sorry. And, uh, I don't mean to laugh. <laughs> yeah, but it is. It's ludicrous, right? And I knew people in that organization. And I wonder whether this is going to kind of turn over that apple cart again. And marketing organizations full of creative people and, you know, data people, all different types of people, whether they can stay connected working from home or working remotely. Do we need the big office still for any organization, marketing organization, part of it? Do we need that anymore? Do you think this is going to change that? I've been working from home for 22 years, Mark. Yeah. It's, it's phenomenal what I've learned in that process and how I was able to embrace certain tools and software productivity systems early on yeah. when I started Energize Growth. And so I am a huge fan. At the same time, I, the first thing I look at is what kind of culture do the executive teams want to create? In the event where they have, they create a culture of seasoned people who have demonstrated success in being self-disciplined, being able to meet objectives without constant supervision, I think the work from home model can be amazing. And on the other hand, if they are hiring and recruiting people who might be new to the workforce, who don't yet have a work ethic, a work rhythm in place to be effective, having some more frequent supervision until they build those muscles is important. Number one, there is no one size fits all. And number two, there might be situations where they need to be with their fellow peers. The question is, would their customers really care that their office occupy is a class A property with high-end furniture, paneled walls, and, you know, $5,000 office chairs. I don't think so. I mean, I just don't think that customers care. My financial services firm, my financial advisors are here in Northern Virginia, 
And, you know, I have no idea why they have this big expensive office. I don't care whether they would you do that or have something similar to a company that's like WeWork. Yeah. And I don't even like using WeWork as an example. I know they're having tough, they're, they're almost, uh, you know, a shadow of their, their former selves at this right. point. However, I don't see a need to have space that impresses your customers or, you know, has 75 different amenities for your employees so that they can have massages and gourmet meals. I mean, I just don't know if that's going to be needed when now we're looking at things like cloud restaurants and food trucks beginning to dominate the culinary landscape in this new reality. So I think there's going to be a hybrid of some sort that we'll see emerge. But I tell you, I don't think I'd want to be a salesperson selling extremely high-end commercial real estate right now. Yeah, I can't imagine what that's like. I mean, just selling real estate itself is a challenge these days, but selling a 300,000 square foot office building would be a big challenge. Yes. And I also, one thing just to kind of get your thoughts going, if you're listening to this and wondering, yeah, what what is the model that would work for me? You can always assess your own effectiveness as a mindful marketer. If you think you want to try on mindfulness in your daily life, I invite people that can go to my website. I have a free quiz there. It's called the Mindful Marketing Quiz or the Mindful Marketing Meter. And people can take three to five minutes and take this quiz and see where am I being intentional and how I design my work environment and design my, my marketing initiatives and where might I Try on some new approaches so people can go to the mindfulmarketer.com forward slash bonus and get some free learning resources there. That's wonderful, Lisa. You know, I can see why your clients value your counsel so much. This was a wonderful discussion we had, and I really appreciate you joining me. It's a privilege and a pleasure, Mark. And I want to wish everyone listening health and healing during this global grief of a, of a pandemic. And I know we will all recover from it together. Thank you so much. All right, next time, Blair ends on how to win without pitching. Confessions of a Marketer is a trademark of Podco Media Networks, and this episode is copyright 2020. I'm Mark Reed Edwards. Stay healthy and see you next time. 